Today on CityCast Philly. Faith leaders in the city are getting training on how to have conversations about race and reparations. I'm speaking with a faith leader who's inviting congregations to talk about topics some may not have thought to discuss. It's Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I'm Trinae Nuri, and this is CityCast Philly. Reverend Naomi Washington Leapheart, you're the director for faith-based and interfaith affairs for the city of Philadelphia. You know, I've heard and read about economists and government officials wanting to address reparations for years because, you know, it involves money. But why does Philly's faith-based community want to tackle reparations now? Yeah, you know, I think that that Faith communities are where this work should actually begin because white supremacy is a moral failing. It was first justified by faith communities um, and sanctioned by faith communities. And so it makes sense to me that faith communities lead this work. Repair is not only about restoring people to material wholeness in tangible ways, but it's also about restoring our nation to healing and reconciliation. And I think that that's a spiritual work. For you, what are reparations? What what does that look like for you? Well, you know, we've been following the United Nations definition of reparations, which outlines five conditions. A lot of people think about reparations, as you said at the top of the conversation, as a monetary kind of transaction. Right. And compensation is one of those five conditions, right? How can we acknowledge that Black labor has been stolen and exploited, that Black cultural production has been exploited, that Black material power has been stolen, and literally write checks to remedy that wrong, to restore Black communities to financial wholeness. We want to make sure that Black people can be made psychologically whole. Because one thing, you know, if you tell people that they're nothing over and over and over again, the folks that are being told that they're nothing may start to internalize that myth, that lie. And so there's some psychological repair that's necessary, right? One condition that I really love that the United Nations has identified is guarantees of non-repetition. Right. So reparations is not just about acknowledging past harms, but it's about putting in place the systems and structures that will prevent future harm. It's about Mm -hmm. guaranteeing cessation of whatever the oppressive or harmful behavior is. And so reparations includes an acknowledgement, an apology, a confession uh, that harm has taken place, material compensation to restore the community that has been harmed to the place that they were in before the harm occurred. And it involves a sustained effort to make sure that harm doesn't continue to happen. What goes into opening this conversation with congregations that may be unfamiliar 
with some of the concepts of reparations that you just mentioned? We did a lot of what we call consciousness raising. We did a lot of political education. We brought in scholars and historians to walk us through the history of the struggle for Black reparations. This isn't new for our generation, right? Generations since Reconstruction and even before that have been working towards reparations. So we wanted to lay out the timeline for people. So we did that in this course that we had. We also opened up the dialogue for people to talk about openly the misunderstandings or the rumors on the street about what reparations actually involves. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to have the white folks in the room say what what's going on at your kitchen table. And what what were they saying? Well, you know, folks, there's some classic uh, responses, right? One is, I didn't actually enslave anybody. So why do I owe anybody anything? Mm hmm. One is, can we have any say over how people use, if I write a check, shouldn't I be able to prescribe how that money is spent, right? Interesting. What kind of, what kind of regulation will we have in place for the, the use of the reparations? That's, you know, something people are, are struggling with. So in the training, you, you help congregations to also appropriately respond to that feedback, Right, right. We wanted to do role play exercises because we understand that even though you may be courageous and you're able to be courageous in a room with other courageous people, once you go back to your congregation, you will receive pushback. And so let's think through how will you address what are the words that you will say Mm -hmm. to respond to the pushback in your congregational community. You know, we talked a lot about the sources of our safety and security as predominantly white congregations, as white people. White people derive a sense of safety and security from being comfortable, from feeling like, you know, they are not accountable or nobody's mad at them, that they're good white people and nobody's mad at them. Security in endowments. I mean, many congregations that are centuries old are sitting on endowments. So it doesn't really matter whether they're 15 people in worship or 1,500 people in worship, they can continue because they are taking advantage of the money that white wealth through the exploitation of black labor has allowed them to enjoy. So, so yes, we wanted to make sure that not only did people fully understand reparations and this movement, but we wanted to make sure that people knew what to say when the inevitable pushback comes. Reverend Naomi, who's come to your trainings? We had 90 folks who represented about 15 congregations in Philadelphia. We had folks from Jewish communities. We had folks from Protestant Christian communities. We had uh, folks from a Catholic parish. You know, a a group of them came together. We had folks from Baha'i community in Philly. We had Unitarians Come. We had people representing Islam and the Muslim tradition. So this was a great showing. When we have conversations about some of these really challenging issues in the city, like poverty, gun violence, or even education, sometimes we look towards other cities for solutions. 
Have you seen other faith groups elsewhere doing this type of work? Yes. So we looked to uh, a congregation in Baltimore, Maryland for inspiration and a model for how congregations in Philly could do this. There's a church called the Memorial Episcopal Church. And they got a new pastor, Reverend Gray Maggiano. And when Reverend Gray got there, he wanted to explore the racial justice work that the congregation said that they wanted to do. And in doing so, he initiated what we're calling a reparative genealogy process, where you just go back into the history books of your congregation to see where you might have been complicit in white supremacy. Well, come to find out that the founders of the congregation, clergy, were enslavers. Mm. So that was the first aha moment for that congregation, that we were started by people of faith, men of faith, who were also enslaving Black people. Was it jarring for folks? It was jarring for folks. I mean, people don't want to look back into their family tree, whether it's their congregational family tree or personal family tree, and see such horror, right? Because it, it, it begs the question, well, what does that say about us? What does that say about this congregation? So they found out our our founders were enslavers. Then they found out that one of the deacons at the church, who was a black woman, was a direct descendant of the family that was enslaved by the founding pastors of the congregation. So that blew everybody away, Mm -hmm. right? That we have been sitting next to, worshiping alongside a person who who has been directly harmed in her ancestral line by the founding clergy of this congregation. So Reverend Gray said, what are we gonna do about this? The wealth that we have accumulated as a congregation has clearly been traced back to enslavement, right? So they started a reparations fund. Um, They started with just $50,000 of the resources already present in the congregation. And I think now they're up to close to half a million dollars for this reparations fund. For that woman in the congregation who had that connection to the church's past, what's her response been like? You know, it's this tricky place, right? Because the congregation wanted to center her leadership and her voice, right? They wanted to follow the direction and the demands of this woman who was directly impacted by the congregation's harm. At the same time, the burden of repair doesn't fall on Black people, right? If white folk created this mess, then white folk are accountable for getting out of this mess. So in this congregation in Baltimore, the deacon has been instrumental in leading the way and also serving as a visual reminder of the congregation's sordid history, right? Like it can't be ignored that she is present in the in the congregation. So one of the things we look forward to is in the six months after this course, we're going to continue to convene those 90 faith leaders and we're going to bring them in direct contact. We're gonna have a Zoom meeting with the pastor of Memorial Episcopal and that deacon so that we can hear from her directly. So I look forward to that conversation. How do you stay optimistic with this type of work? Mm. You know, let me just name that it's challenging. And 
the only way I'm able to stay optimistic is because I want to be grounded by my faith, right? That when governments fail us, <laughs> when secular institutions fail us, perhaps our faith invites us to draw on a strength that's beyond what we can see, to imagine what could be. And frankly, I stay grounded as a Black woman myself by my own community. When it gets tough to continue to talk to white folk who want to remain ignorant about race, about white supremacy, about reparations, I can sort of retreat back to a community, a Black community that gets it, where I don't have to do any translation, I don't have to jump through any hoops, I don't have to explain again the pain and the trauma. Mm -hmm. I can just be. And that gives me strength to go back to the battlefield and continue. Reverend Naomi, tell me what would success look like for you this year? Like, what do you hope to accomplish? We want to organize 100 congregations who have committed to a reparations action plan for Black Philadelphians. A, a measure of success would be by December 31st, 2023, we've got 100 congregations working their plan, moving money, moving wealth, moving material resources, moving land. That's that's a metric of success here in Philadelphia. And then and then we want black Philadelphians to say, wow, look at what's possible when we just decide we're not waiting on anybody else. We're going to work on repair ourselves. I want black folk to feel the material gain from the reparations work that these congregations are doing. That would be a measure of success for me. Reverend Naomi Washington Leapart, thank you so much for joining me on CityCast Philly. Thank you so much. If you're a faith leader or member of a faith group who wants to get involved, email Reverend Naomi at faithphl at phila.gov. And here's what else Philly's talking about. Reverend Naomi is speaking at UPenn's annual Martin Luther King Jr. Symposium on Social Change tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. at 215 South 39th Street. We'll have a link in our show notes. And former Philly radio personality Jerry Blavitt, also known as the Geeter with the Heater, has died. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, he was also a band manager, record store, and club owner TV host and concert promoter. Blavitt was 82. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Be sure to sign up for our morning newsletter, Hey Philly. It'll be in your inbox at 6 a.m. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. And hit that subscribe button. I don't like that word. (laughs) Subscribe. Okay.